chapter 1, starting at verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be a man. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. If you remember, Revelations, it, Revelation is the unveiling. It is removing the curtain and seeing Christ, seeing Jesus as he is. We will talk extensively about what the church, first century church, was going through at that time, the persecution, the suffering, the trauma. And at that time, God said, it is time for me to be revealed, who I am in all my glory and all my power. What we have here. If, if you remember, the last time in Scripture that we have Jesus talking, I think it's when he was talking to Paul. Uh, he had died. He rose again. He went to heaven. And, and, and Paul, he was Saul at the time, persecuting Christians. And the Bible said he showed up on the road to Damascus, knocked him off his horse. And then Christ said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? I think that was the last recorded words of Christ we have until now. You can check your Bibles if you have your red letter edition Bibles. You see anything written red between Acts and now. But in the unveiling, in the revelation of Jesus Christ, Christ speaks for the first time since all those years before. And so in, in the midst of their trauma, in the midst of their suffering and persecution, Christ Jesus, who had walked with them years before, who had talked with them years before, is speaking to them now. And so the question becomes, what are the words of the Savior for his people? What does Christ want to tell the church as they're going through their persecution, as they're going through their trauma? What does Christ want us to know about himself? And so what we see in Revelations is very important. Remember, the theme of the book is the unveiling, who Christ really is. And this is Christ speaking to the people at that time in the midst of all the pain and suffering and struggle that they were going to. And so the question for us is, what do we need to realize about Christ in the midst of our struggle? How do I respond? How do I understand? How do I react to who Christ is in relation to what I'm going through right now? In verse 7, it starts off, behold, he is coming in the clouds. John begins to further emphasize, uh, emphasize who Christ is. And in doing that, in verse 7, he, he goes back. And, and remember, before we talked about Christ, it was the three things that he is and the three things that he did for us. And so we remember he's a faithful witness. We talked about that. He's the firstborn of the dead. We talked about that. And he was ruler of the kings of the earth. Those are the three things he is in verse 5 and 6. And then the three things that he did for us was the last message, almost last, yeah, the last message we talked about was he loves us, he released us from our sins, and he made us king priests. And so this Christ, this Jesus, John began to further emphasize who he is. Verse 7 says, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be a man. The first thing he does was crazy is, and we talked about how 
the Old Testament is prevalent in Revelation. John, in describing who Jesus is in the midst of their trauma, he wanted you to understand something very specific. And so what John did, first, he reaches back into the Old Testament, like he's been doing so far. He re matter of fact, turn to Daniel chapter 7. He reaches back to the Old Testament, to the prophets, and he grabs references, uh, 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 identities, um, nomenclature, of Jehovah God, attributes of the almighty Yahweh, Jehovah, conquering God, creator God, and he takes those and he assigns them to Jesus Christ. He starts off saying, behold, he is coming in the clouds. Where in Daniel chapter 7, and remember we talked about, these guys knew the prophets. And Daniel was one of their main prophets that they knew because of what Daniel spoke of. In Daniel chapter 7, this is Daniel's famous vision. We did an entire series on the book of Daniel. So if you want to go back, I won't get into too much details. It was one of them years ago from all the entire series of Daniel. Um, this is the famous vision that he had of the four beasts that represented the four kingdoms. And we, if we look at chapter 7, verse 16, I'm sorry, verse 13, Daniel said, and I looked up, I kept looking in the night visions, behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. How was he coming? He was coming with the clouds. And he came up to the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days is a term that the Jews use to talk about Yahweh, the Ancient of Days. He's from forever ago. So this man who came on the clouds went in front of the Ancient of Days, Yahweh God, and he was presented before him. And to him, to the Son of Man who came on the clouds, was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the people's nation and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. John said, behold, this unveiling Messiah, this unveiled Jesus Christ who walked to you is the one that Daniel saw in Daniel chapter 7, who set in front of the Ancient of Days, and the Ancient of Days, as he came in on the clouds, gave him his glory, gave him his dominion, gave him his authority. What John was saying, he was referring to the fact that this Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the one who loves you, this Jesus is God. This Jesus is Yahweh God. And he did that by going into the Old Testament and bringing the attributes to the resurrected Lord. Then he reaches back again to the Old Testament prophets and he grabs references about victory. The Jews, they were persecuted. The Jews, they were in captivity most of the time. But every prophet, after they told about how they didn't do what God was supposed to do, every prophet will come and say, hey, but Jehovah will show up. And the day of the Lord is coming where he will judge all your enemies and God will give you victory. And so every Jew was waiting for the day of the Lord. Every Jew was waiting for that time when God would come down and judge sin and judge the enemies and then give them their reward and bless them and God would reign on earth. It was a common theme for all Jewish boys and girls. They knew one day the day of the Lord coming. What John did in here, turn the, uh, with me to the book of Zechariah. As you're turning to Zechariah, I'm going to read 
Revelations 1, 7 again. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, reference to Daniel, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. In Zechariah chapter 12, we looked at Zechariah uh, several times in our introduction to Revelation. Zechariah was writing to the Jews as they were in captivity. And when you get to the end of the chapter, he talks about victory. He talks about what's going to happen in the future. So in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, it says this, I, this is God talking, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the spirit, the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping of the firstborn. God is speaking. Jehovah God is speaking. And Jehovah God says they will look on me, Jehovah God, whom they have pierced and they will mourn. John said, you remember when Zechariah wrote that? Yeah, John, I remember that. Well, he's talking about the Messiah. He was talking about Jesus Christ. This is the unveiling. This is shocking to them. Now, the disciples, they knew that he was God. But what John and God and the Holy Spirit was revealing to the church, that that man who walked with you, that man who turned water into wine, that man who healed the sick, that was God himself, the one who came, who walked in on the clouds, the one who they pierced, as the prophets talked about. And he ushered in, again, that chapter, uh, Zechariah chapter 12, is talking about the day of the Lord and how God is going to have victory and how God is going to win and how God is going to judge. And John went back into those Old Testament passages and attributed those characteristics, that time, to Jesus Christ. Let them folks know that the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth is Jehovah Yahweh, God. The one who loves you, the one who released you from your sins, the one who makes you kings and priests is Jehovah Yahweh, God. The almighty Yahweh created Jehovah God, Jehovah God. The one who came here, the one who walked among you, who did those miracles, who said, if you believe and put your trust in me, you will have life. And if you don't believe, you will not have life. The one who said he is the only way to God, the one who died and was buried and rose again, the one who told you, like Molly said today, in the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have conquered the world. Well, how can you say that, Jesus, stand in front of me, son of Mary? Oh, because I was the one who came walking in the clouds. I was the one who went in the presence of the Ancient of Days, and the Ancient of Days gave me his glory, his dominion, his power, and his authority. So I can sit here in front of you and say, be not weary. I can be in front of you and say that I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, because of who I am. That's the theme of Revelations. Behold, he is coming. As a matter of fact, what's really cool, they had a name for the Messiah. Turn to, uh, real quick, this isn't a message, but turn real quick. Matthew 11, in the book of Matthew chapter 11, John 
had Gideon, uh, John the Baptist, uh, he had got locked up because he was rebuking the king at the time. Uh, and he was locked up. He decided to send some of his disciples, John's disciples, to Jesus to ask him a question. You look at verse 2, John eleven two. 2. Now, when John, while in prison, heard the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples. And he said to them, watch this, are you the coming one? Now, if you notice in your Bible, that should be capitalized, the coming one. Yours might say the expected one. The coming one was the term that the Jews had for the Messiah. They called him the coming one. Because they knew in Daniel, he said, he'll be coming in the clouds. And so he was called the coming one. When John, back in Revelation, said, behold, he is coming in the clouds. Look at verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come the Almighty. John is talking, and the, and the term that theologians use is, is, is Christology, the study of Christ and, and, and assigning deity to Christ. We have firsthand experience that the first century church taught and believed that Jesus Christ, the man, was also fully 100% Yahweh God. This is hundreds of years before the council at Nicaea. The Council of Nicaea, we have this nice little document that they put together, what was it, 300-something A.D., I think it was, around 300 A.D. They put together this document because there were people saying, oh, Jesus wasn't God, just a regular man. So the, the, the church fathers at 300 A.D. got together and said, no, we believe that Jesus is God. This was 300 years before that. We have evidence that they believed and they preached and taught that Jesus was actually God. So John said, let's begin. Verse 9. John has given us the preliminary, and he's going to start talking about this vision that lasts from verse 9 all the way through the end of the chapter. So 1 through 8 was kind of like the preliminary. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom, perseverance, which are in Christ Jesus, which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, we could sit there for about three or four days. John said that he was fellow partaker. That means he's telling the church as he's writing to them that I am with you in this thing. Remember, John had been exiled on this island because of the testimony of Jesus Christ. John said three things. He said, I am partaker with you in three things. Watch this. The tribulation, the kingdom, and the perseverance. The tribulation, the kingdom, and the perseverance which are in Christ Jesus. John refers to this faith. John refers to this walk of Christianity, this belief in Christ, in three things. And he said these three things mark what we believe. These three things mark this faith, and I'm right there with you. Tribulation. The kingdom and perseverance. The word tribulation there is a constriction or an affliction. And the word perseverance there is, is, is literally means to remain under. How this is written in the original language, what John is saying is that this face that we walk these things are tied together. You cannot have this faith in Christ and not have 
affliction, a kingdom mindset, and endurance. It comes with the territory. It's part of our walk. It's part of what goes on when you align yourself with Christ. And Paul, John said, I am standing there with you. Paul echoes the same idea in Acts chapter 14. You can turn there and look at that later. But in Acts chapter 14, Paul says the same thing. He ties this walk with Christ to persecution and to endurance. There's reason for constriction and affliction when you walk with Christ. Some of it comes, and probably the most potent one, doesn't come from external sources. It's internal. The internal conflict, the internal constriction, the internal affliction. What is that? Well, that's the old man versus the new man. See, that was the way you used to live. There's a tendency that your humanity, that your flesh, the Bible calls it, has to operate. When we give our lives to Christ, the Bible says old things become new. But Paul tells us to put off that old man. Leave that old woman alone. Leave your old way of life alone and begin to walk in the newness of life. That's conflict. That's affliction. That's constriction. Because your old man is like, but no, nah, son, I want to, I'd rather do this. Or I'd rather respond this way. Or I'd rather not do that. Or this is what I'm used to. This is what I'm comfortable with. This is what I like. This fits what everyone else is doing. But the new man, the new woman, the new creature in you is saying, hey, the Holy Spirit is saying, oh, no, 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 no. We don't do those things anymore. We are new. We need to walk in the newness of life. I need a new perspective. I need a new outlook. I need a new imbalance in whatever the culture is doing. And so we have that affliction that constriction in ourselves that we need to endure. Then, of course, we have the external. The Bible says that our enemy, the devil, is a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. He's going to and fro. He seeks to kill, steal, and to destroy. And as we are trying to walk on the path of holiness and righteousness, his job as the accuser of the brethren it's to create an environment in this world to make it difficult. And in that, we have affliction. In that, we have constriction. The society that we live in, the culture that we live in says, this is right, this is wrong. This is how you should be. This is how you shouldn't be. You have to uh, uh, approve of this. You don't have to approve of that. Society says, this is norm. But as followers of Christ, there's affliction with that. There's constriction. Because nine times out of ten, the culture, society goes against what God says. Others, there's constriction and affliction as we operate in this kingdom. Now, the context here, Paul is, John is talking about the affliction that we have for following Christ. And those who look at us as following Christ and either try to get us not to or try to talk about us or to try to bring that type of persecution and affliction on us. But I believe this can span to all the aspects that we go through in the Christian life. You've heard people say, don't believe for once that you get saved, and that answers all your problems. If not, that brings more because of the internal conflict. You yourself wanting to do other things and battling against the Holy Spirit. Satan, 
and then the society and the world that we live in. John says that affliction is part of this walk, but in this affliction, you need to have perseverance. The word for perseverance means to literally to remain under. It means to under the pressure, under the weight, to remain. I think of uh, uh, squatting. You go to the you've been in the squat rack and I take Layla to the gym. We we put this, the the bar on the squat rack. We put on what forty fives? What am I forty fives? Put forty fives on. She gets the bars across. She gets under the bar. She always takes her ponytail and she puts it up so it don't get caught there. All right. She extends to lift it off the bar and she steps back. Then when she steps back, she has weight. She is under the weight. We got 45, 45, and the bar is 45, so that's 135. That's 135 pounds, probably more than she weighs. She's under that weight, and she's holding that weight, and she has to remain and endure that weight. Then with proper form, elbows forward, shoulders back, back arch, head up, she squats, keeping that form till her thighs are 90 degrees to the ground, and then pushing through her heels, she extends up. Ah, what has she done? She's actually endured that weight. She didn't go, take the weight, and goosh, collapse. She endured. That's the word that John is using here. He's saying, in your affliction, you need to endure. In your affliction, that weight is going to be pressing on you. You need to endure. Part of this Christian walk is that suffering and trauma and persecution come, your requirement is to stand under the weight and endure. But the beautiful thing about this is that it's a supernatural endurance because the one who is helping you to endure your affliction, to endure the constriction, to endure the persecution, to endure that suffering, and to stand there with that weight on is the one, the ancient of days. It's the alpha and the omega. He's the one who came in on the clouds. He's the one with the authority. He was the one who is king and priest. He is the one who died and conquered death and rose again with all power in his hands, and he said, I will give you the strength to endure if you stand with me. And so what John is telling the church, as you're going through this stuff, they're killing you, they're killing your family. He didn't say, oh, it's going to be all right. He said, no, endure. Stand underneath that. And the Holy Spirit will give you power because the one who's standing with you, we're going to get to you, get to that, is the Ancient of Days. He is Yahweh. He is creator God. That endurance, that word endurance carries the idea of tenacity. It's that tenacity and it's a supernatural power to persevere under affliction. Our conquering as believers is different than conquering in society and the world. Conquering the world, you get some weapons, you go in, you're knocking the door. No. By tying this together, what John says is as a believer, to reign, to conquer, we overcome 
by persevering, by suffering as Christ did. That's how Christ became victorious. The Bible says that he suffered even unto death. And because of that, he was given the glory and the honor and dominion and power. See, it's backwards. Society, oh, you put your chest out. You exert your authority. That's how you conquer. Jesus said, no, 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 no. To conquer, you suffer. To conquer, you go through affliction. You go through constriction. And the conquering comes by you being able to put the weight on your back and then put, put on two more plates. Mm, okay, put on two more plates. Mm, okay, give me two more plates. Mm, okay, two more. Mm, two more. Mm, by standing and endurance. Why? Because the Holy Spirit said, this is how you conquer. Conquer. This is how you win. This is why we don't give up. John goes on, we talked about this before, the key, one of the other keys in Revelation is do not compromise. See, it's easy as we keep adding weights to say, you know what, that's enough. No, no, no. I, I think it's a better way. Of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to take off some weight because this is too much for me. I'm not going to joke on Planet Fitness. But I say Planet Fitness is not a real gym. One, because they give out pizza on Fridays. And donuts. It's a gym that gives out donuts. You, you just, you, you're already. If you go to the counter there, they have a bucket there. In the bucket, they have little Tootsie Rolls. That as you're talking, you're like, anyway, uh, I need to update my, I'm like, why is there a bucket of Tootsie Rolls sitting right here in the gym? Don't go there. <laughs> Here's donuts and pizza. Another reason why I say it's not a real gym, because they don't have uh, free weights. You can't go get a bar and put on 45s and squat or bench. You have to use what's called a Smith machine. Now, Smith machine is fine. It's a good exercise to make sure you keep your form. Also, it lets you control the weight. But what the Smith machine does, it gives you a little more boost as you go up. See, if you can lift 405, if you can squat 405 regularly, you go to Smith machine, you can probably get 500. Because the Smith machine, how it's built, and the spring systems inside allow you to get more weight, and it kind of little bounces as you go up. Great, because again, as you're lifting weights, you're trying to build muscle, it's more about form, not about how much weight you lift. And so the Smith machine really helps you with your form, helps you concentrate, so it's a great machine. Yes, but the Smith machine is a compromise. Because what it says is, I don't want to handle all this weight by myself. I'm going to find a way out of this, so I'm going to go to the Smith machine and be able to do that. John said, in order to be victorious in the life that you are living, in order to experience the power that the Holy Spirit gives, don't compromise. Don't use the Smith machine. Don't look for a way out. Don't give up when it gets hard. Don't turn and say, you know what, it's just too much. I'm going to, our responsibility, and we're going to see that when we get to chapter 2 and 3 and 4, is to pursue, continue to pursue, but not compromise. That's how you rule in Christ's kingdom. Endurance by not, compromise, not compromising. Endurance by defeating the sin in your own lives. When we get to chapter 2, the righteous judge, and we'll see that. Remember he said he had a sword coming out of his mouth? That sword represents the judgment. He's coming to judge, and judgment, the Bible says, starts with the house of God. 
And that's why in chapter 2, 3, and 4, before he talks about how he's going to judge the earth, how he's going to judge sin, he takes three chapters and he judges the body of Christ. Because how do you become victorious in life? By enduring, by not compromising, and by purifying yourself. Getting that sin out your life. There's been two chapters talking about, hey, church over here, you need to do this. Church over here, you need to do this. Because that's what it takes to overcome in the kingdom of God. John then begins to talk. He said he was in the spirit of the Lord, verse 10. He was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. And then when we look at what God said, what Jesus said, what that person said, he heard a loud voice. You can go back to verse 8. It might be read in your Bibles. It says, I am, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. John has just revealed who Christ is. He went into the Old Testament and he grabbed names and characteristics of the ancient days of Jehovah Yahweh created God. And he took those and he assigned them to the risen Jesus Christ. He went back and he looked at evidences in the prophets talking about the day of the Lord and the victory and the judgment of God and the victory that God's people was going to have. And he grabbed that and he gave that and he attributed it to and assigned it to the resurrected Jesus Christ. Then he said, I was in the spirit of the Lord on the Lord's day and I heard a loud voice behind me. It sounded like a trumpet. And I turned to see what the voice said. And the voice said some things. I am the Alpha and the Omega who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. It's no better way to learn about someone than to hear from their own mouth. And what we're about to see is how Jesus is going to introduce himself. John spent some time and told you, but Jesus now steps in and said, thanks, I got it from here. I am the alpha. I am the omega, the beginning and the end. The literal translation of that verse, the literal translation, where is it? Oh, the, where did I put it? Oh, here it is. The literal translation of that verse is this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, original and finish, the being, the was, the coming, the all-holder. That's crazy. The Alpha and Omega, beginning, Alpha the first letter of Greek alphabet, Omega the last letter of Greek alphabet. God said, I'm the beginning and the end and everything in the middle is me. He said, the original I'm sorry, it's no article in front of that. So it's original and finish. That's what that means. Original and finish. I'm the originator of this thing, and I'm the finisher. I'm the closer. I'm it. You see that in baseball, you're in a game, and the pitcher's pitching, and the pitcher's pitching, he's doing well. The pitcher's arm gets tired, and the other team's starting to figure out, okay, that curve, okay, that curve, okay. So about the eighth time they come up, they kind of know what it is. You see the manager come out, call time from the ref. He walks out to the mound. They talk about nothing. Then you see him look over to the bullpen. 
And then you see the guy coming. What's the famous uh, Diaz. Diaz? You see him coming from the Yankees. He started coming out. Oh, Matt, I'm sorry. He started coming out. And you know he's the closer. He ain't tired. He's been sitting there for eight innings. His arm is not tired at all. He's about to close this game. You call the closer when you want to finish. The other team has no chance. Jesus said, I'm the originator, and I'm the finisher. I'm the cons consummation of this thing. And then, in English, we have who was, who is, who was, and who is to come. The original language says the being, B-E-I-N-G. I am the being. As you're going through your trauma, I'm the being. I'm right there with you. That ing, I'm there. It hurts. I'm here. It's heavy. I'm here. I got affliction. I got constriction. I'm here. The was from 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 ancient of days. The was, and then he said the coming, and it goes back to what he said: the coming one. And then he says, our, our version says the almighty, but the original language says the old holder. That means he holds everything. All means all, and that's all, all means. I'm the all holder. When you got some hard times, remember, he's the all holder. When it hurts, he's the all holder. When you're confused, he's the all-holder. When you don't know what to do, he's the all-holder. That means, oh, I'm getting control. I, 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 got, I got the steering wheel in my hands. I've got the control in my hands. I've got the buttons in my hands. I am in control. In my hands are everything. The one who came to earth, who tabernacled with you, is the all-holder. The one who walks among you is the all-holder. The one who is a faithful witness. He's the all-holder. The firstborn of the dead, all-holder. The king and priest, he's the all-holder. The one who loves you. The one who's compassionate towards you. The one who cares about what you're going through. He said, I am the all-holder. Not only do I care, I got it. Look, 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 it's right here. What you worried about, what you stressed about, what's hurting you, I got it right here in my hands. He said, I'm the all-holder. He's the one that gives us grace and peace to endure. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are, Father God. We thank you for being. We thank you for was. We thank you for coming. We thank you, Father, for being the all-holder. We go through sufferings and trials and tribulations, Father God. Sometimes it's hard to endure. But you told us already, know that in this world you will have suffering. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And you're the all-holder. We pray, Father God, as we go from this place, as we continue this week in your kingdom to represent you and to remember that you have all things in your hand. To remember, Father God, that the suffering that we have is part of the course. 
That's what it means to conquer. And I can only conquer if I suffer. So, Father, that's why Paul could say, rejoice in suffering. Because that suffering produces this and this and this and this and this. And it's what gives us the victory. We thank you for the victory, Father, that you have decided to share with us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, Father, and we thank you for you being the faithful witness who stands with us. Pray, God, that we will honor you with our thoughts, with our life, with our testimony. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.